And I'm fucking livid that we are stuck in the timeline where Alex Jones is right. Why aren't the Amish afraid of, of COVID? Because they don't have TVs. As I said, democracy is a system that reinforces authoritarian ideals. I hope I don't get canceled. Being a victim of a tragedy doesn't make you an expert in public policy. Well, I mean, AOC is a drama queen and she's full of <laughs> shit. Remember, they lost the Afghan war 10 years ago. <laughs> you brought a freaking guillotine. They said, you don't get to tell us no, we're in the state health department, and I said, hell no. It wasn't making Christianity better, it was making rock worse. Uh, <laughs> what what the fuck do you have on your face, Olivia? You want to make the world a better place? Have some babies, and raise them to not be stupid. I remember thinking, man, governments are not going to like this shit. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, activists and people of the internet, thank you for joining another episode of O'Donnell for Liberty. As always, I'm your host, Justin. Before we get started, just a reminder that whatever platform you listen on, whether YouTube Live, Odyssey, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or starting now, available live on the air at lrn.fm, you can help grow the show by liking, commenting, subscribing, and sharing with your friends. If you enjoy the content that we produce, you can join the production team by visiting patreon.com slash O'Donnell for Liberty. Again, that's patreon.com slash O'Donnell, the number four, Liberty today if you want to keep in touch between shows follow me on social media and join our community discord channel where you can chat with other fans of the show at any time all these links can be found in the description of the video or podcast you're listening to as well as on odonnellforliberty.com so check out the description for that link and make sure you get today First and foremost, a shout out to our sponsor, SnackSwag.com, where you can get all your favorite Liberty merch, including some awesome new hoodies in the collection just in time for colder weather to start creeping in. So make sure you remember to head on over to SnackSwag.com to pick up your merch today. Now, tonight we're going to be talking about the art of high fiction, how to escape reality by diving into the magic of books, and how we can use writing and fiction to reach new people with a message of liberty. We're going to take some questions, so make sure you hit that like button, leave some comments, and tell us what you think in the chat, and give a warm welcome to tonight's guest, author of The Royal Green, the one and only Jack Casey. Jack, hey. thanks for joining tonight. How are you? Good, good. How are you? I'm great. Now... Your book is, uh, it's out there. You're out there in Clubhouse promoting it all the time, but I know a lot of people don't tend to read high fiction. Um, like, how do you sell your like book? Well, maybe backstory. How did you decide to write this book? Because I've picked it up. I've started reading it. It's something I'm really enjoying. It's a really heavy read, uh, not like the normal high fiction and fantasy that I read normally. Um, and it, it's uh, a chore to get through, but it's like a really enjoyable chore in the detail that you've put into it. How long did it take you to get that done, and what made you start it? I um, <laughs> Yes, it took a while, mainly... Uh, I mean, I started when I was 17, okay, and, and when I started the first chapter, uh, but I took some time off and let it mull over, and, um, it, you know, it was at that time of life, and I'm sure many of us, when we're, like, you're becoming an adult, you're starting to question things about your world and maybe what your your upbringing or beliefs are, right, your, your worldviews, and so as I went through that organic process of, like, questioning myself and what I thought, because I, I, at that point, I had some very authoritarian views, um, <laughs> And, um, and so as with the characters and just kind of exploring these things, kind of entering that fictional sort of dream space, 
um, over several years, I, I saw myself change and my thoughts and views change along with the, you know, the journeys or the characters are going on. Um, and so kind of organically, I, I started off writing it not as a libertarian and by the end of it had become one and was like, oh, wow, okay. And then at that point, I thought, okay, well, I've got these books, these drafts. Um, and, uh, and I thought, well, you know, now that I know more clearly what I think and believe, should I just write a new story that's like more directly trying to message something or be a certain way? But then I thought, you know, if, if this is sort of a record of my own kind of, you know, pathway to more libertarian thinking and among other things too, um, other deeper questions and personal stuff, um, why not share that and, and, and show that as sort of my organic journey? Oh, look at that. <laughs> I got a cat out there too. She's kind of good. Um, and, uh, and, and, hope, and hopefully show, yeah, that, that maybe what worked for me will work for others, that by, by reading a similar journey or, or becoming attached to those characters and their story, um, that they could maybe come to similar conclusions I did by the end. Um, and so... I figured, why not? I, there's many more things I'd like to write and do, but this series was kind of the my own personal kind of, you know, coming yeah, to see I, the light. So, and, and I get that. Like, I, I myself, I'm a writer myself. I've had a novel in the works for going on a decade now, and I think I've started two yeah. spinoffs before yeah. finishing ever one of them at all. Um, but like, when it comes to like my nonfiction stuff, the first book I wrote, I, I hammered out in a weekend. Uh, for nonfiction, it, it's so much harder to create a world than to just write explaining the world around you. Yeah, it can take. Yeah, and, and by the way, so it did take me ten years to publish. So I, right. I mean, to write it out it took me about a year and a half, and then I would sit there and edit it while I was writing the sequels. And yeah, by the time I went from start starting a first chapter to actually publishing it, it was ten years. Yeah, and uh, and I've released the the latest book, the third one, Crowned by Gold. Um, the first one's the Royal Green. And, uh, and yeah, that, I guess it'd be 12 years to then put the, the third one out and starting. So yeah, yeah, it's, um, but that said, I know if I was writing them now, putting them out, I could put them out a lot faster. Cause, uh, you know, it just takes sometimes it takes time for you to figure out in your life what you really want to say or what you even really feel about things. Well, that even from a text perspective, like 10 years ago, we didn't have the availability of self-publishing via like Amazon as like, right. As, as just available and free as it is, you had to go through publishing houses and convince them it was worth spending money to publish your book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that was one of the first. So even when I was still finishing the drafts of the series, I, I started trying to shop them around and, and look at the traditional publishing route. Right. Cause I thought that's what you're supposed to do and very quickly figured out, okay, yeah, no, the industry's changing. It makes way more sense to, to right. just go straight to your customer if you can and market yourself and do all those things. Um, cut out some of the middlemen and uh, and yes, do it that way. So that, that made sense for me. And so now I'm, here I am. Yeah, no, one, one of my favorite, one of my favorite fantasy series. And like I said, I, I devour high fantasy. That's kind of just what I do. My Goodreads profile, like it set me to the one book a month challenge. And then in January, it's like, you're done. Um <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Terry Mancor is a very prolific um, fantasy author that I read a lot of and his Spellmonger series. And I've even kind of noticed like an evolution in him as he's written that series over the years. Um, it, it was about the third book. He's about 15 books into the series now, plus a whole bunch of spinoffs and cadet series and short stories and novellas that have go along in the universe. And like at the beginning, 
it was his characters trying to build the world, build the, change the government. He is a revolutionary and like just trying to save his family. And by the end, like by, by book 12, I'm reading it and characters are straight up having a conversation about how taxation is theft. <laughs> in the book. And I'm like, where, where did this come from? Just out of the blue. <laughs> like you say you've evolved over time in now I, I'm about a third of the way through the Royal green myself. I'm trying to, oh, cool. okay. I'm, tr yeah. I'm trying to get this to a point where there's no spoilers for me or the audience, but I definitely <laughs> want questions to be answered. That's pretty um, good. About a third in, you can't give away yeah, too much at that point. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's very early on I kind of got a grasp on maybe like you as the author's politics where the the queen is giving a speech and she's talking about the old enemy of old that um, the king had ousted and her description of how he destroyed the kingdom and started the blight and the famine. I'm like, oh, he's a communist. Yeah, no, exactly, right? So, so <laughs> like, That seems so pretty on the nose point, to me. <laughs> oh, for sure, yeah. And, and, yeah. and the story... The story is has political intrigue, right? It's dealing right. with politics for sure. I mean, you have the tension between these, you know, these groups. So you've got the queen, the authoritarian queen in charge, and you've got the the duke who's sort of yeah. rebellious and they're worried about revolution kind of thing. And then, of course, their history, which involves right a sort of you know socialist or communist, whatever um, past. And so it, it definitely the the setting and the context has this political tone in many regards. And you're kind of seeing this exploration of those, those things. Um, and I would say at the start, I was very like right wing, but, but more authoritarian. So, okay. and, and by, by writing this, a lot of it was kind of putting some of my own views on trial. So it was casting some of my views, um, the sort of new conservative, you know, pro war, you know, round up the rebels and people who question, you know, like <laughs> putting all that stuff, kind of casting them as the villain and really asking myself, like, is this really what I want to believe and by, by showing it? And so then you see characters like the Duke, Duke Dareth, who's wants a more kind of freedom oriented approach to things. Yeah. And, and that's kind of my beat going, okay, you know, here I've been hearing people talk about this stuff and you see this in like the Republican party back. So back when I was a Republican with like the tea party movement and suddenly this talk of limited government being emphasized. Right. Again. And, and so there's, there's different, tensions and questions were going on in my own life and then i think it, it certainly spills into the story that way and yeah by by the end it's clear that i'm i've rejected <laughs> the authoritarian roots and upbringings i came from and i'm like heading straight for liberty so yeah it, it's definitely where i'm at like i've gotten vibes of what i would liken it to and what i would say like it struck to me is kind of resembling historically is like what would have happened if the czars took power back after the socialist revolution in yes. russia Yes, that's a great analogy. That is kind of right. It's got these parallels. So it's like imagine yeah. right, exactly. If instead of after communism, right, instead of this, you know, uh, like there was this great opportunity to have changed things, and instead they went reverted back to the system they had before. Well, well, communism didn't work, so we're going back to kings and queens, right? And right. and you have the Duke Dareth who maybe missed his shot to be like, what if we try something different, right? Um, maybe there was still a reason that the communists took over originally right maybe like there was something wrong um and so but he's still and, like the book is still very like it, it hammers to him like the the fatal flaw of like the the deceit of like self-aggrandization when his daughter's like well she's just gonna think of you as that enemy too he's like i can do better it's the i can yes. do better mentality yes not there's a better system it's i'm better that he has. yeah no and it, i feel like that is very representative of the conservative right that we have today still that's a great way to put it. And, and I, yeah, and there's all these nuances and layers to it. And I feel like 
that is kind of where my starting point was because as a right wing, you know, neocon person, I'd always been told about how evil the left was in communism. So that was mm -hmm. sort of the, the context of like, okay, we know that that doesn't work. And then, but then as we see with Republicans or right wing people today, what they're proposing and doing, whether it's nationalistic, or whatever their version, it, it's a, just another form of authoritarianism. And so I think in the ruling class of this story, you see this question of, um, it is the thing where you've replaced the, the communist, you know, disaster with really any better? Is it, is right. it actually people? And then, and then, like you said, even the, the, you know, the rebellious Duke, there's this question of, right, but it, are, how do we know his system's going to do any better either? Right. How do we know that the thing he wants to impose is going to do it? So hence the age, if, concerns and so forth. Yeah. The age old question from that I was asked in Firefly and Serenity, it's like, um, or even Dr. Who asked it in their anti-war episode. It's like, how do you protect your revolution from the next one? It's like, yes. once you've created your utopia, what do you do with the people like you? Yeah. <laughs> and I tell people too, this, this three book series, you can see my journey from, Rejection of neocon authoritarian roots, exploration of like minarchism, limited government, and I basically arrive at the end at ANCAP. I, I by the end, it's pretty clear that I, I, you know, figured out how to break that cycle, and so that process of going down the rabbit hole of libertarianism, uh, I think, is expressed very, very similarly in there. In now, having having had that journey and having had come to that conclusion, is there anything that you? In hindsight, wish you'd written differently. Is there any kind of that something you wish you'd changed about the characters or the setting um, that would have made it like maybe more representative of your views in the end? I mean, don't get me wrong; the journey itself is a very important part of reading. Yeah. It's why I write. It's why I read. But like, I always look back on stuff I've written and say, "Man, the effort it would take to edit this." But like, I really wish I did it a different way. Yeah, no, certainly. Uh, in fact, that's probably what took me so long to publish it because that was the conversation I was having. Because what's funny yeah. is when, when, when you write something at a time, it's like a freeze frame capture of where your thoughts were at that time right. in your life. And yet by the time you're getting around to editing and actually trying to publish something, you've evolved so much that you're like, this doesn't currently represent how I feel, but it is how I used to feel. And, and, I, yeah. and so I would ask myself, how much do I edit to bring it up to my current speed? And yet how much do I leave it um, intact the way it was so that it, it preserves that voice in that stage of that journey. Right. So that, that it felt like talking to a past version of myself and being like, Hey, I, I'm yep. going to tweak a few things here. I'm going to try and make this a little smarter, a little better, but I'm still going to preserve your original voice and the intent of what you're doing here. And, um, but largely it's largely unchanged when I first wrote it out as far as like the scenes and the characters and everything that just sort of happened. Um, all I did was try to make the, you know, the phrasing and wording of things just better, more succinct, all of that. So yeah, see, I, I've had the I've had the struggle where um, some people would convince me like and asked I should maybe look at doing a second edition revision of my book since it's been about four years since I published it. And it's nonfiction; it's a training book. It's specifically geared towards libertarians about how to use basic sales and communications tactics to improve your communication. And th that's what I do for a living: is uh, sales coaching and teaching people sales and communication. Um, and I, I look back on it and in the past four years, just my involvement in the Libertarian Party and my involvement in the Liberty Movement and in politics, working as a local lobbyist in cities and in the State House in New Hampshire, um, as well as writing policy and communicating policies, like I've had such a complete turnaround on like my approach to communication in the political sphere. That like I, I'm looking at it and like I, is this a second edition or is it a completely different book? 
Right, right. No, that's a good question, right? Because <laughs> that's what I asked myself too. I thought, do I do I publish this or do I write a new series where I, I'm starting off with where I'm at? But then I realized by the time I finish that series, I'll probably have evolved again over the next few years. So I figure <laughs> I, might, I might as well put it out there. People know who I am now. They know what I think now. And, and my hope is that um, by doing it that way, because it's true, if I look back now at it, I'm like, oh, this stuff I would definitely have written or done a little differently, knowing what I know now. Um, but I think I was delightfully surprised at how much I was already going where I wanted to be even back then, even if I didn't understand it at the time. I didn't connect the dots yet, but it was all there. And the, the sort of the things I was learning were there. So I, I figured, okay, I'll put it out there. I'll preserve it as it is. And you can go with me on the journey to where I end up. And my hope too is this, because obviously I'm marketing it right now to my fellow libertarians. I'm like, hey, if you, yeah. you, know, if you already like sci-fi fantasy, and you've ever been frustrated, they don't always like, you know, line up perfectly closer to your own ideas. If you're, you know, why not read it where you know that it's it's going where you'd want it to go, or that it's by someone who thinks the way we do. Um, but but the main thing is, I I do I wrote it to just be, you know, its own thing, and and to be appealing to a general audience, to to just general readers. It, and and my hope is that by not um, by allowing it to kind of be its own thing not making it too much of, of just a strictly libertarian messaging story, it, it can then appeal to the average person who just loves good sci-fi fantasy and loves that storytelling and those characters. And, and, uh, you know, I almost feel like science fiction and fantasy lended them, lend itself as a genre more to libertarianism, more to anarchist thought, because when an author or a creator, you sit down to build a world from nothing. When you start to do your research and your planning and you sit down to build a world from nothing, as you're building it out, you come across the fallacies and the Ill illogical uh, governance situations. Whereas, like, if you're writing just a modern fiction story set in the modern world, you're using the systems that exist and the systems in place in the world that you know. But when you're forced to sit there and create something new, every time something problematic comes up, you're like, well, I, let's do it this... No, that doesn't make sense. Let's do it a yeah. different way. And I feel like a lot of high fantasy, especially, like medieval or uh, dark ages setting type of stuff um and in, even in sci-fi where somebody's creating a new world from scratch when they build their system when they build their world and they build their governing structures of their world it ends up coming out more libertarian than what we have it ends up like even if by accident even if mm -hmm. it's not the author's intent mm -hmm. and I, I i get that from like um terry mancor and from like terry goodkind like the sort of true series like if i go back and read terry goodkind sort of true oh, series yeah, yeah. Okay. it's incredible yeah. like if it is objectively an objectivist story like it's better objectivist literature than ayn rand wrote when you go back and read it like looking for it and recognizing it and then like terry mancourt he has knights and peasants arguing about whether or not taxation is theft in the story <laughs> yeah. like and not realizing it and i know he doesn't realize it because i reached out to him on discord and asked and he didn't realize that he wrote it <laughs> <laughs> right but, it, it, like, it's almost like all paths lead to libertarianism i do feel like because of the truth of the ideas we talk about, they are self-evident. We hold these truths to be self-evident, right? It's right. like it's like there is something to be said about when when, and maybe that's why I think fiction and storytelling is so important as a part of this process because you can argue with someone all day and explain the logic of your arguments, um, but but like you said, in the world we live in now, there are these preconceived notions and biases. But something about being transported to another fictional scenario. 
it kind of frees your mind up to play the what if game and to ask those questions and explore how else could society look? What else could be happening? Or, or right. you know, it, it really does. And, and that's exactly how I discovered it. You know, not only were there other influences and things I was learning, but by writing this story, I was asking myself those questions and then arriving at a similar conclusion. So it, 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 it's cool. That's why I'm promoting now. I'm like, okay, this works for me somehow. Yeah, no, it, and, it, yeah. it's kind of, a, <laughs> I, and I definitely love, uh, one of the things I, I have loved, again, I'm only a third way through the book. It's not gone nearly as fast as I thought it was, as what I've grown expected to. It's because a lot of high fantasy nowadays is written more like it's geared towards just young adults. And like when I pick up a Terry Mancor novel, um, it's an 800 page novel, but I finish it in a weekend. Uh, the Royal Green, 550 ish pages. I'm like a week and a half in and a third way through. I'm like, <laughs> all right, this is a lot. Like, this is not You're drinking it in. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I, I think that's something that does set it apart is like, I, I'm looking at what I've read so far. If I were to go back without, like, if, if I weren't going into it knowing you're a libertarian, having spoken to you before on Clubhouse, um, having gotten reviews of your book from other people who have read it, if I didn't go in with the expectations I had, it would still be enjoyable. Right. That's, that's always been my goal. <laughs> Just write a good story. Yeah. Let that be what you're leading with. And then if it happens to also revolve around these ideas that you care about, great. You know, I mean, yeah. That's, well, thank I, you. I thank think, you for saying that. I, I think that's the best way to get your message out, to actually reach out to people through storytelling. And I, I tell this, this is one of the cruxes of my book when I, that I, the one thing in my old book that I, I don't think I would change is that the best way to communicate your ideas is through telling stories. And whether they be fictional or personal, Telling a story is how you resonate with people. And telling a story with people that doesn't feel like it's patronizing them, doesn't feel like it's gimmicky or right. uh, childish, really will resonate with people who are looking for that. And that's one of the things I've appreciated so much so far about the Royal Green. Um, wh whereas I look back on, like, I look back on the Spellmonger series, clearly Terry Mancor is. Um, reaching his libertarian phase late in the books and he's clearly <laughs> hammering on his world building and the change of government structures in his medieval society uh, but it's still like a young adult's novel and it's still glossed over it's still written for people who i i don't know that it communicates that well uh to somebody who's not looking for it like i it, it jumps to me at the like it was a three-page argument between a, a couple nobles some knights and some peasants that were working <laughs> about whether or not taxation was justified for what they were doing and i'm like this is incredible i bring it over to the discord channel and i'm talking about it with other fans and early readers of his books and his private discord channel and nobody else even like it didn't even click with anyone else yeah yeah no th thank you and, and th that's what makes it fun because we can have these these conversations and intellectual discussions but something about making it funny or entertaining or in a context that has some irony or purpose or or, or yeah or especially with emotional attachments i think with good stories and good characters and i and i know this because this is what moved me too in the movies or books or hell even some video games that i i read or watched or played um that what made me hold in was there was this emotional component there there was something more than just here's ideas. It's, it's, Oh no, I care about what's happening to this person. They're in danger or they're trying to, you know, um, get with this person or, or, you know, whatever the case may be, there's, there's something right. powerful about just having that full, you know, um, range of human emotions and things 
along with the ideas where it's less being preached at, but more like just being pulled into something. Yeah. And I, I, I used to joke that I think this is one of the biggest problems with libertarianism and the growth of libertarianism and anarchist philosophy is that the best, truest, most like stringent academic anarchists and libertarians make the worst people to deliver the message <laughs> because they tend not to have personal stories. They tend not to be able to deliver it. Whereas like some of the best libertarian communicators we have are people who are single issue. Like you, you look at Maj Torre is one of the best libertarians out there when it comes to gun rights. He's sure, pretty yeah. crap on other issues. <laughs> and like libertarians get in an uproar when he starts talking about immigration. It's like, no, 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 stick to guns, dude. <laughs> like stick to guns. Um, like you look at Lynn Ulbricht, who she doesn't talk about anything but criminal justice reform. And she is the best advocate for criminal justice reform we have. I don't even know if she's libertarian on other things. But I don't care. We keep bringing her to right. libertarian events because she's the best libertarian communicator on criminal justice reform because it's personal to her. It matters to her. Right. And people tell these stories and get out in front of people, and that's what converts people and brings people in. And right. all you're doing is like just reaching a bigger audience. But like you're not telling the story to people who are looking for something political. You're looking for you're telling the story to people who are looking for something to be entertained by in an airport waiting room, um, uh, an airport waiting lounge, or at home on a weekend on a rainy day and just looking for something to suck them in. And I think that the fans of high fantasy, the people who really appreciate high fantasy, are the people who are like most trying to escape the world that they live in. Like that for me, that's what it is. Like I dive into high fantasy because the world sucks, and I can enjoy it. I play Dungeons <laughs> yeah. and Dragons and Pathfinder and Magic the Gathering, and I read high fantasy novels because it's a form of escapism. And when you can reach people who are looking for an escape, and at the same time deliver them like not only the escape they're looking for, but a message on how things might be able to be better. Yeah, like it's the white pill approach to the future, but I, I yeah. love it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. And I'll say too, it, you'll see too if you, if you if you like the first one enough and get the sequels too. Um, the libertarianism it, it gets more like explicit by the third one. I say like like as I figure some more stuff out, it becomes kind of more, you know, you see it kind of uh, develop with the characters. But even then, it's 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 always supposed to be from story first, characters first politics and the ideas second it, they should serve the purpose of the plot and what the characters are going through right if anything the the political dramas give the backdrop or the setting by which then we care about their personal story what's happening to them and the choices they're making trying to you know find their independence or, or find the things in life that make them happy and free so yeah it, it's um it's it's cool when those two can line up just right with the right balance and it's what i've loved in fiction i've enjoyed and um in movies and stuff where I was moved first by a good story and then only later could go, huh, wow, that does make sense if you apply this to the real world too, some of these ideas are right. Think about yeah. But even today, even so many like the the most sold book in history is Atlas Shrugged. Right. And I hate it. I think it's a terrible book. <laughs> I think Ayn Rand is a terrible writer. She's too far up her own ass to communicate well. Like the only thing Ayn Rand ever wrote with passion was the forward to her own book, congratulating herself on its republishing. <laughs> but, uh, but it's still one of the most prolifically sold and read books in history. Um, and so it shows like pe people people are willing to read this. People are willing to embrace it, and people are willing to talk yeah. about it. Um, while you were writing, I mean, other than just writing, other than just figuring shit out on your own, what was it? Were there any external factors? Like, 
that led you to start changing your ideology and your political philosophy? Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. On the one hand, there's an explicit, you know, watching current events and and the news in the world and trying to figure out what's going on with the world and that external sense. Um, But there's also personal struggles. There's things you go through. um, Mm -hmm. I think anyone, you know, who... I think what I what I like in and maybe what I discovered in some of my writing too and, and, and those of others where the things that we think are true about the macro scale about how the world works also are true and resonate on the very individual personal level. Everything from people who try to use force to get what they want, everything from right. people who respect people's choice and consent, right? And that even on the personal relationship levels or on these like kind of microcosms of daily life, those philosophies or concepts kind of resonate at the higher and higher levels. And so I think I I know that for me, um, you know, influences could be everything from personal things I went through, things I saw other people go through. Um, Some of it was playing hypothetical, right? Fears of what could be, um, you know, and, and so drawing from your own experiences or or wrestlings with things, but then also people you meet, um, and then and of course just the world at large, and connecting all those dots, and, and through through all that together, you just pour all of your you know your thoughts and hurts and and feelings and stuff <laughs> into this this uh, this wonderful you know place where it can go live and try to make sense and make sense out of it all, right? And kind of make it about something yep. bigger than just your own personal struggle or story too. About other so, things that people relate to. So, so I mean, what do you think the the outlook is? What do you think the positive outlook on the real world that we have today is compared to how great we can make fantasy? How great we can help my D and D character is a lawful neutral, uh, a chaotic <laughs> neutral rogue because I don't like government. But like, <laughs> like what 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 is our actual reality? Like step step out of fantasy back to reality. Mm-hmm. Like, what's your outlook on the future? Like. <laughs> yeah no I, I, i'm with you i i'm trying i'm trying to stay white pilled there's black pill days for sure I, I, of course the last 18 months have i'm sure accelerated everyone's um right you know personal awakenings um people who were not political at all have become political um you know the whole thing of people just wanted to be left alone and i think the time is ripe for our ideas to really take hold and like you said, we have to sell it right or know how to communicate it and, yep. and really seize that opportunity. And I think we are. I think we are gaining and growing. And I think the question is just, it, do we have enough time? Are we moving fast enough? And as far as like, do we win in the end? I think yes. And I think well, I mean, it's just a matter of how long until we win and how much human suffering until we win, right? It's just a matter of how much collateral damage, how fast do things, you know, the question is how gray is your white pill? Like how, how great, how much black is mixed in with your white pill? Because I, I think historically, it's, if you want to look at it, like historically, there's always been a Renaissance after the fall. Yeah. Um, like the fall of Rome spurned on the dark ages, but that the dark ages gave us the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they gave us some of the greatest art and literature in human history that moved things forward. Like, organized religion starting world wars over the middle east over jerusalem like gave us another dark age but then out of it we got an arabic renaissance in mathematics and sciences that helped progress humanity i think we're looking at the new fall like i've likened covid19 i've likened the world around us to the new fall of rome like 
I, I, I joked that in high school, if you told me I'd live to see the fall of Rome, I'd look at you confused. And now I just understand it implicitly yeah. that we're looking at the fall of Rome. We're looking at yeah. the fall to licentiousness and debauchery. We're looking at the uh, destruction of order and the embracement of chaos and not in a good way, because like I do see authoritarianism not as order, as chaos, because it's it's not allowing people to manage their everyday lives. And I just wonder what kind of renaissance do we come out of this with? And I do hope it's a libertarian renaissance. It's a renaissance of people realizing that shit sucked. I'm going to do me, catch me on my homestead with my microgrid. <laughs> yeah. No, I love, right? So we have multiple options with avenues. There's the political front. There's the, you know, parallel economy, society aspect. There's, I like that what could be different this time about the previous cycles of civilizations going through these, you know, rapid changes could be that if we learn enough of the lessons from before, which hope, which would have hopefully prevented this rap in the first place. But um, as we're going through this, I think maybe what we can figure out is how to do as much harm reduction or mitigation of the chaos that comes with some of these changes or things. Um, so I think that's where we can really step up and be those, you know, Renaissance man, whatever, and, and kind of um, help the world cope with and know what to do with things as they're happening. And I think we do see people turning and looking around for answers. We see millions of people who are, are unemployed from all this stuff, millions of the unvaccinated, like myself and others, who are, are looking for answers. And I think this is this is weirdly where <laughs> you know the the right the fall precedes the rise. Like you said, it's like this is where. I think it's good for us in the end. It's just how much harm and damage is done. And, and, and what I, what I would warn, you know, our governments who are, are, you know, I think desperate and trying to hold on to whatever power they can is look, it's the easy way or the hard way. It's actually for your own benefit too, that if enough libertarians win, we can more safely and effectively dismantle or transition or kind of help society figure out how to, you know, make this as, 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 you know, least bloody or difficult as possible. Um, and, and, you know, if they keep thrashing and trying to grasp their power and so forth, there's, um, you know, the massive disobedience that there's people already pushing back in ways that didn't even need any votes to be cast. And I think that's where we, we do have them. I think, um, you know, we, we have more power than we realize it's government that is terrified of losing what, what power they think they have. And, uh, the more people figure that out, I think we'll be okay. It's just, right. We don't want people starving. We don't <laughs> want people having to, you know, go through too much chaos before things, you know, before some better libertarian order arises, you know? So what's so next we'll for you? Um, <laughs> you? You've written this trilogy, you've published this trilogy, you've been promoting it. Are you working on anything right now? Like a fourth book in the series, maybe a completely different story set in the world, like around different characters at the same timeline. Like what's, what are you thinking? I mean, I like to do all the above. I <laughs> what, what I should have to do with with this was I figured okay, I, I don't want to um, I want I don't want to George Martin this thing. I, I don't want to keep people waiting right. decades between sequels. So I thought I want to tell a story in three parts of three books, and in each one, um, you could almost kind of leave the ending of each one where they're at um, if you wanted to, and kind of ambiguously leave it there. But but I did write out a, a trilogy cohesive story, and. Um, and the goal was that the trilogy would be something if you just wanted the beginning, middle, and end, the full story arc with these characters, you could get that and walk away. 
And then with that world created, those characters created, if you wanted to go further, have more sequels, sidequels, prequels, yeah. other stories in that world, all of it, it's there ready to go. Um, so the more people buy and support and enjoy the initial trilogy, that's what would help me be able to keep telling stories in that world and do more. And then also too, there's other stories in completely different genres. Um, I'd love to write a story that takes place in like future and Capistan, right? Like show by example, how much better the world could be if we got what we wanted by just having a story take place in that setting, even if it wasn't about that, even if it was just about like a future, you know, there could be some other story or characters going on. But if the setting they're in is like, oh yeah, what if you were in this society that was way more prosperous and had had way more choices and, you know, like that could just be kind of the background to it to kind of show um, and not tell. Uh, but other stories too that, could have nothing to do with the politics itself but just like i've always wanted just good storytelling good characters and um and i'm sure there'd always be some kind of cool theme or idea you could draw from it uh, that adds to what we're doing um no matter how much it focuses on that in each one you know yeah, those have always been my favorite types of stories to kind of just wrap up and when the sequel comes out you're like oh i wasn't expecting this uh but I'll, i'm diving right in and I, I'm the obsessive compulsive kind of person that once I start something, I cannot leave it unfinished. Um, like I, I knew getting into the Spellmonger series with Terry Mancor, I'm like, I knew I was setting myself up for a like this is gonna take a long time to get through because my yeah. friend who recommended he's like, Oh yeah, by the way, there's 14 books published so far, three <laughs> cadet series, and like 18 short stories to go along with. I'm like, motherfucker. Like, um, but like I was a kid when I started Terry uh, Goodkind's Sword of Truth series. Why are all the fantasy authors named Terry? Um, <laughs> I started the Sword of Truth series, and it was with Wizard's First Rule was the first book in the series, and I read it, and it was amazing. Yeah. It was fascinating. It, it really captured me, and like it had a really good succinct ending. And then I turned the page after the ending, and it's like book two coming. So my motherfucker, <laughs> <laughs> eighteen books yeah. later, I was done. <laughs> yeah, no, that was my thinking too. I. I, you know, I wrote the first one. I was already thinking a book or two ahead and I knew I wanted sequels, yep. but I remember thinking I, I want it to be where, well, maybe I had two thoughts. One was, you know, yeah, you could leave it there and that you wouldn't have to be waiting on a cliffhanger for a sequel, right? That you could kind of feel satisfied by the end in some way, even if it left some things unanswered or had some other thing you could pick up on. Um, but uh, maybe a part of me too, while I was writing them, I, I kept being worried. I was like, well, what if I, what if something happens to me before I finish? So I want to make sure each book I, I write has a good enough ending that it wouldn't just be this, you know, forever unsolved story. You could kind of still, you know, do that. But maybe that was kind of grim of me at the time to keep anticipating that and being afraid of that. But, you know, I was going through some dark times. So I think that reflects on the writing too. Um, and, and so by the third one, yeah, I was like, here's a trilogy. You could, you can enjoy that and walk away. But, but now it frees me to write and do more, but where you're not having to be strung along or you know, made to feel like you have to wait too long to be satisfied. I, I want people to to enjoy right. what they've purchased, love it, and then if you want to come hang out in that world some more. Let me know, and I'll I'll keep doing more. Right. Uh, well, I'm um, gonna ask more for one spoiler. There, there's definitely one spoiler I d I'm gonna ask for because it's bugging me, and I think <laughs> I've got it. I think I've already figured it out just based on where I am in the story and what's been been explained to me. Um. Yeah. One of the things that I do love about the Spellmonger series with Terry uh, Mancor is it is 
it, it presents itself as high fantasy. It's sort of in like a medieval feudal society, very similar to yours. Um, but then as we get deeper and deeper into the series, they, it's these things start to pop up and say, oh, like there, there is a hidden past and there is a hidden backstory here that like, like this was after a fall that it, it was rebuilt back mm -hmm. up. They start finding technology from the, um, their, their past and like realizing that it's like, oh no, this is a medieval feudal society on another planet that developed <laughs> after the settlers from earth who were fleeing uh, a dying earth had a civil war that collapsed their, uh, their world. And it took a thousand years from the rubble of that to develop a feudal society. And like it catches you so off guard when he turned when he he's presented for like several books in is just this high fantasy and then boom hits you it's like nope we're sci-fi like mm -hmm. uh, um yeah. and like I think I think that's where you're going I think that's where I am at in the series where they're uh -huh. talking about the tech with the ancients <laughs> and uh, the ancients uh, and, like the special forces units named Sword based off the ancients alphabet and what it meant and uh -huh. like, I, I uh -huh. think we're going there I think uh -huh. it's safe for me to go and say you're <laughs> onto something and, and, right. and because the hints are they're there from pretty early on it's like okay yeah. and, and I figure for readers they'll figure some stuff out at, at some point in there they'll have their moment of wait a minute and yeah. um but what that means what that exactly spells out to you know I, you get to develop and, and discover more later but um but i well that's one of my favorite things i got to do with this story is layer upon layer of not just i love plot and character twists but i love genre twists or, or this, right. this sense of like blurring and blending and really making you like the whole thing is a mystery. You realize, you know, there's romance and intrigue and political drama and, you know, rumors of civil war and all the, all these other elements and themes. But I also love that you're kind of, you're, you're, you're solving a mystery, not just about the characters and the plots and, and, you know, what's going on there, but the world itself is kind of this mystery you're unraveling. So I, yes, I think um, that was one of those fun things. And it's the, it's the kind of stuff that I've, um, there's even more I could tell you that you're going to get to in a few chapters yeah. where I keep hinting to people, there's some stuff in here that's kind of similar to some stuff going on lately. And <laughs> if you, if you uh, when you get there, you'll see and you might be like, oh, so you were writing this years before certain uh, things were happening that maybe look really familiar. And so I, I highly encourage people to give it a shot, if only for that reason, because it's um, I don't it's think I would have noticed. I, I honestly don't think I would have noticed like the glancing references to the ancients and like the past civilization as being anything more than that, which is not atypical in a fantasy environment that there is a past right. civilization and whatnot. Right. It's the idea that the past civilization was more modernized, more technologically advanced, and like then you'll oh, it was our civilization. What's the past civilization? <laughs> I don't think I was primed for that if I didn't, if I hadn't been reading the Spellmonger series with Terry Mancor. If it wasn't something that he hammered so hard uh -huh. in his series, I don't think I would have picked up on it as quickly in the Royal Green as I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay, that's what's going on. Like, well, and here's my struggle, right? Because on the one yeah. hand, I love seeing where people figure certain things out or not. And I'm not, I'm not fully confirming or denying exactly what you're saying, but I, I'm saying that you're definitely onto something. And, and that um, my, my struggle has always been, how much do I give away? Because some of the stuff, some of the cool stuff in it is part of the selling point. It's part of what makes it interesting and, and something that isn't as typical 
than what you're going to get with this type of story, you know, story genre. I'm glad to know, though, there are many other authors who play with that stuff, that, as you've discovered, that I'm certainly not the only one, but that, um, yeah. So I, lately I've become more agreeable to kind of giving away some of those things to kind of show people like, hey, this is there's something more fun going on here than I think you're initially yeah. going to think by reading the back cover. There's there's more to it as you keep unwinding and unwinding. Right, yeah, I, I read your back cover and I was getting ready for like cult drama and like a religious, uh, like kind of a, like a breakout like story of like a constructed religion in the high fantasy world. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, uh, I, I'd it like certainly plays a role. That. There's certainly, yeah. I mean, there's even more. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just got to stop because, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> one thing I yeah. love doing though, too, is just, yeah, I, I like keep people re-guessing what they're reading and what's going on constantly because it's just fun it's just too fun i i maybe writers are just you know maybe it's my neoconservative um you know uh uh you know willingness to you know bomb and torture people origins but there's something about being a writer where we do enjoy torturing people in a different way <laughs> yeah no I, absolutely it's um that that's something the I actually way struggled. I that. <laughs> yeah no that that's something i struggled like like i said the short stories and stuff that i've written like i go back and reread it like deciding whether i'm gonna like pursue it whether i'm gonna expand it whether or not i'm ever gonna publish it and like i i really like the worlds i've built i really like the characters i've built but i'm like it's pretty linear like i'm not good at, i've realized like i haven't really developed that point yet where i can like set the hook and like keep people on their feet where it's an engaging story it like it's like i can tell a great story i can't tell a great story that keeps people from being able to see where it's going right at the onset and so that's something i work on myself because again what i do excel at is writing nonfiction, and you want people to be able to get your conclusion the moment you write that first paragraph and sure, just sure. stick but around for the explanation and mm -hmm. so it's a completely different approach and it's something i'm trying i've been struggling to translate to fiction um, cause I love fictions, what I love the most. So, yeah. And it, it was fun for me. And part of it too, was because some stuff I could plan ahead. Some of it, mm -hmm. I knew what twists and turns I want to do and things. And, and there's much more to see. Um, but I, um, but also some of it surprised me. Some of it, as I wrote, it's either my subconscious was planting things I hadn't recognized yet. There's times where in books two and three, I'm discovering some twists or turns in that moment that I didn't even plan on. And then I, I look back and I go, wow, it still makes sense with what I already wrote. You know, like this is all right here. The pieces are all right there and I can just connect a new dot and make it happen. So there, what's fun is as I watch others and get to vicariously experience their surprise or their guesses as they go, I mean, some of it I can identify with because there were times I was as surprised as, as any of you <laughs> and what was going on in my head. I was like, oh, wait, this is what's going on. Or here's, you know, who this person yeah. is and whatnot. Uh, so. it, it was uh, Rommel that said, no plan survives contact with the enemy. And, uh... <laughs> That's actually good. That works perfectly. The yeah, enemy and, in my uh, own mind of just. <laughs> yeah. Or or Mike, Mike Tyson. Who, I think Mike Tyson said it a little bit more elo not, uh, eloquently. Uh, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> yeah yeah and i think that's why i i stuck with poetry because like we said even though if i had written a story now with knowing and believing what i do now i would have written it differently it might have been a little too artificially planned and plotted it might have been too you know and, and something about that process of opening up the unknown a bit and going through that self-discovery 
where you don't quite know what you're going to want to say or what's going to happen. And so, you know, there's some part of it you're planning and some part I think you have to leave open to the journey and thereby, because otherwise you're never going to learn anything with your own writing. It's one thing for just trying to teach people what you think with your writing, right. but I think a part of writing is self-discovery and learning too, as you do it. And so you have to presume that you're going to learn things you didn't already know when you started. And that's part of discovering it. It's part of going through that. So, yeah. so who knows uh, what I'll discover next when I write. <laughs> so, so, so stepping out of the world of fiction, yeah. Step back to reality. Um, I mean, have you been touring to sell the book? I know, like, I first met you in a clubhouse room. I had never heard of your book. I had never heard of you um, until I was in a clubhouse room and we talked about it. And we had like, we had a conversation about writing and telling stories in a clubhouse room. And, like, 60 people just sat there silently and listened to us. It was great. Um, and then after I met you and after I talked to you, I started seeing you pop up on Dan Smott's show. I started seeing you pop up on Facebook and Twitter and people talking about the books. Like, what are you doing to get it out there? like all this <laughs> I, I basically i mean i you know i published the, the first book in 2019 the second book mm -hmm. last year 2020 like right before the election in the middle of all that chaos i somehow managed to publish the second book and then uh the third one just you know a couple months ago and um this is the first year that i actually like tried to pay for ads on podcasts and and actually had a, a target audience and i've actually appeared on on at least one um podcast that was just indie author stuff so i'm, I'm also trying to reach like the indie author reader world too. But, um, but I knew that um, obviously, cause I want to be more involved in the libertarian community anyway. I've, I've been a libertarian since 2016 been donating and following campaigns and, and just like, I, I think we were talking about before we started recording, um, you know, I could try to consume like five or six hours of podcast libertarian content a day just to stay informed and stay up to speed and see what's going on. And, um, and been on my own libertarian journey the whole time. And so um, I think this is the first year where I really wanted to go, okay, I've got these stories. I'm almost done with the trilogy. Now I am done with it, but at the time. And like, why not? I already want to donate to and support as many co libertarian content creators and stuff as I can. Why not make it a win-win where I can right. say, hey, here's some money. Hey, here's my books. And, and my hope sincerely is like, okay, I'm going to go to my people who I know will probably get a kick out of this stuff because of the themes in there sell it you know promote amongst you all hopefully it you guys read it and like it rate it review it all that good stuff and then as the normies you know as i go market out to the regular world who just want to get in for the sci-fi fantasy stuff anyway they can see okay it's been read it's been vetted and 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 um and my hope is that if i succeed um as an author at some point at least enough to um you know pull more money in then of course i just want to keep expanding and donate more and, and actually bring more resources in that way. So, I mean, that, that's my long range hope and goal. It, you know, we'll see how long that takes or how fast that goes, but <laughs> at a minimum, I'm at least happy that I can share this with people I already care about and a movement I already care about and, uh, and just have fun with it. It's been fun. I mean, the, doing the, the ads, the, the memes that have been made, like we've built up this weird, like mythos around, me that's based on just it, <laughs> random inside jokes on clubhouse that accumulated and so i'm like why not this is funny this is fun it, it's 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 been a cool i've been very thankful um to the whole community for just um just having fun with me and and like uh, uh welcoming me in and like you know all of it. it this whole summer this last summer has been one of the best i've had in a while because i just felt so included 
and like I was finally, you know, um, just hanging out with my people. <laughs> this clubhouse especially has <laughs> helped, right? Like just talking to people that yeah. like it makes you feel less alone because before, like I've only met one libertarian in the wild and and out here, and he, oh, God. We, we were instant friends, right? I was like, "What? You're a libertarian?" We're like, "Oh, oh!" And we, you know, we're there's friends. another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quick! I threw a pokeball at him, and um, and so, <laughs> and so um. To, to you know but besides those rare instances you're usually on your own or it's just your closest ones and so um to be reminded oh yeah there's entire communities you can go talk to people you can bounce ideas you can even argue with each other about all the stuff you argue about and to just feel less alone like there's there's a lot of us out there we're talking we're forming these networks this podcasting everything podcasts are doing you guys are building the communication information network that is, is, as we've seen, is already taking down the major media narratives and, and the ability for them to have a stranglehold on information and communication. Like, yep. I mean, th- what you're doing and what everyone's doing now is extremely important. And it's, 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 we're building that like home base or community that as we expand and grow, you know, we, we can reach the point where we're not worried about what the mainstream media says about us or we're getting canceled or whatever, because we have our own, you know, uh, entertainment channels we have our own books and authors we have our own you know maybe like cinema thing going i mean who knows like we we should just create this libertarian uh parallel society or community and just go from there you know Why, we call it uh, new hampshire sure yeah <laughs> yeah free state project <laughs> stuff like that right i mean yeah any ideas we've got to build these uh mutual support networks and um and it's nice when you know that uh, something you're advertising or buying or whatever is is from a fellow libertarian and you feel like it's sort of um helping people out who who get what's going on (laughs) well we gotta get you up to new hampshire i mean we we've got liberty forum coming up in march first weekend of march um three-day festival we're expecting hundreds of libertarians from all over the country um we got some speakers we haven't announced yet and people have been there and in the past i can't remember the guy's name and i feel absolutely terrible for this because i I think it's because i never read the book i never read his book um, but there's a local, he's even local to New Hampshire. It's, we have so many libertarians in New Hampshire. I can't remember them all. Uh, <laughs> like you nice. talking about meeting one in the wild. I've met them randomly at the grocery store when they've been complaining <laughs> nice. to the, they've been complaining okay. to the cashier that she doesn't take Bitcoin cash. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. uh, but we, we, yeah, we had somebody, he, he's usually at Liberty forum every year. So like selling his book and promoting the book, he wrote a sequel to the moon is the harsh mistress. Oh, um, okay. That's one I need to go read because yes, I've heard that one reference before, and so yeah. so he made his own like, uh, yeah, he, he, <laughs> yeah. He he made a sequel to it, and everyone who's read it tells me it's incredible. Everyone t- he's won awards for it. Um, nice. Like he won a couple of sci-fi like book awards for it, and he's always at Liberty Forum selling his book. Um, he's like, we, we do panels with stuff like we've had authors panels talking about using literature and their books that they've written at Liberty Forum before. I don't know who our keynote speaker is going to be this year, but then we also like Porkfest. Like you sound like someone who needs to come to Porkfest. Yeah, no, I want to do a ton of events. In fact, last year, the convention was going to be in Austin, right? And it was going to be at the hotel where I wrote the majority of my third book. I used to live in Austin. (laughs) So I would sit in that lobby typing away and i thought how cool how synchronistic that i'm gonna go to my first libertarian convention right where i was writing this stuff i'm gonna shake hands and then COVID hit and everything blew apart and so a lot of my plans i would like to have done either for book signings or just to go to liberty events right. was sidetracked a bit 
Um, now my concern is just what's happening to the unvaccinated with, with travel. I don't know if they're going for air travel soon or what's going to happen there. So that could affect my yep. range of motion to some degree. Um, but that depends. But yes, no, absolutely. Whether I can be placed in person or just like I'm doing now, like showing up and people <laughs> on their phones and on screens and saying, hi, <laughs> I'm still here. Um, and, and, uh, and yeah, and I, yes, I, cause I know how much I want to support others and especially the, the creative world too, because I think like we talked about, there's, um, there's something to be said about the culture and the arts, you know, being such an important factor because we can, we can try to elect people and argue policy all day, but you know, if the culture isn't moving with us towards these ideas, you know, then, um, yeah, I joked that the most the most effective uh, person in the LP influence sphere right now is Top Lobster. Not any member of the LNC or the Libertarian Party, but like it's people like Top Lobster who are actually making art and putting stuff out there that people are seeing, and like it, it's creating, forcing people to think and it, like evaluate their cognitive biases because it's it's art, yeah. it's literature. Um, yeah. Politics is downstream from culture, and culture is downstream from art. Yep. Yes. So. No, that's the best way to put it. Yeah, that's exactly it, right? And I and I ask people too, look, I think so far I've heard I've been very thankful to hear the feedback that people have really liked these books so far. But that said, let's say you someone reads them and they're like, ah, I like most of it, but like, oh, this could be better or whatever. If you think I have the talent and what it takes to keep writing stories and keep getting better and keep taking what I've built and build off of that and do more, support me now. Like buy and read them. Let me know what, what you think I can improve on or not and i promise you if i can you know right now i'm trying to figure out like okay how do i stay employed while i'm vaccinated all the other day job stuff but <laughs> if i could make a living or at least have a big enough income to keep writing and have more free time go to more events do even more for the movement i already care about and want to do more for um then yeah i i would love to keep telling stories and um and just help influence and be a part of that culture and creativity and and uh, you know just keep Come back to help you all too. Well, I'm looking forward to finishing. I'm looking forward to picking up two and three as soon as I'm done. It's it's been awesome. a fascinating read so far. Awesome. Um, where can people find your book? Where can people find you? Yeah, um, the website theroyalgreen.com. Um, you can order the books there. Um, some of their info and stuff, uh, or else just directly on Amazon. You can find it on there too. Um, just type the Royal Green and under books, you'll probably find it. Uh, oh yeah, there it is. Uh, I, myself, I'm on and off social media depending on my mood. Um, sometimes I've been on Facebook, other times I delete it. Uh, I'm on MeWe right now, so finding me, honestly, Clubhouse is probably best. Or just yeah, yeah. you know, you got to get on Twitter. That's what you got to get. I know it's a cesspool, yeah. but I love it. Like and maybe I, I, I should. Get enough maybe I should. Yeah, I so. I keep wanting to punish Facebook by not using it, and I don't know if they care. Really so I've, got, uh, I've got a whole big opinion on that. Like Facebook is garbage. Facebook, I called Facebook government too. Um, yeah. Zuckerberg's just the backup viewer, but <laughs> it, it really is the public square. And if you really like, uh, every time I see a big libertarian push of get off Facebook, go to me, we minds like they all have terrible UIs and I can't stand those platforms and they're all echo chambers anywhere. And if we're, if we're going to abandon the public square, then nobody in the public square is going to hear our voices. And and to yeah. me, no, I, yeah, like, I get that angle. Too, it's something sure. I struggle with. Like as bad as big tech has become, like abandoning big tech means abandoning the fight against. Well, and maybe it can be simultaneous. Maybe what yeah. we could be doing is keep building up on the alternative platforms. We got like 
a stronger network that can't be mm-hmm. algorithmed or you know torpedoed by faith so like keep building the the backup places and networks but yeah maybe still have your outposts or your front line on you know in in the mainstream stuff um i know twitter from what i understand is the least egregious of them right so uh it, no <laughs> it depends i i don't know nobody knows and like Every day you see a story about somebody getting nuked off of Twitter, people getting 12 hours and 24 hour bans for saying things. And like, I'm sitting here, like I I've tried to push the needle. Like on January 6th, when Trump got kicked off of Twitter, I was like, what did he get kicked off for? I went and found the video. I'm like that. That's what he got kicked off for. I'm like, I'm going to see what I can do to not get kicked off. Like, and like I started tweeting some really egregious shit. Like, Burn down the Capitol. Take hostages. Like AOC <laughs> is an enemy of the state. That's and no like, riot. We'll show you right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like Timothy McVeigh did nothing wrong. I just wanted to see how people would react and like what I could do. And like, not only did I never get suspended, I got a blue check mark. Okay. Yeah. That's, like, okay. <laughs> like they gave me a Maybe verified once account. We're, once we're yeah, <laughs> I, I'm with you. I, it's been my struggle. It's how much to to use the main areas or not i, I could probably yeah. talk back into it I, I take breaks from it because i i just get so mad i want to direct traffic elsewhere to try and you know right at least support the alternative competitors a bit just to help them out right yeah <laughs> but right. maybe well, i can it, do both it, it has been an absolute pleasure having you it's been a fascinating conversation um yeah. everybody remember go check out the royal um i messed up before i finally found what i was looking for um so just go theroyalgreen.com. You can pull it up. All the books there available, Kindle and paperback. Uh, so if you prefer your books, go get them in book. If you prefer Kindle, like me, download your Kindle. It goes with you wherever you go, and the battery lasts for a week. It's incredible. Um, so believe it or not, I used to be the biggest opponents of Kindles until my mother got me one for Christmas. And I'm like, fine, I'll give it a try. Then I, then I spent six months getting rid of a thousand or so books that I had. A pile of. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> save some space for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, by all means. Yeah. And Kindle, it's like three bucks per book on Kindle. So you get the whole trilogy for under 10 bucks. So by all it's means, great. if you don't want to take the risk on buying the $18 per paperback, you can start there. And then if you really love it and want the fresh pages, you can buy the paperback too. So. Yeah. Well, if we can get you to New Hampshire for Liberty Forum, I'm going to have to buy the paperback to have you sign it anyways. So, right. okay, but yeah. everybody, again, Jack, thank you so much for joining. Everybody else, thank you yeah. for tuning in. Until next time, be free. Thanks again for tuning in and joining us tonight. Make sure you hit that like button and leave a comment below to let us know your thoughts. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and hit that big red subscribe button on YouTube and turn on notifications to get alerted every time we go live. If you enjoyed this content, you can join our production team on Patreon by following the link in the description. And don't forget to follow on social media and join our community Discord channel by following the links in the description as well. The best part of all of this is the community that we're building and growing. So go ahead and join us. And thanks once again to our awesome sponsors and patrons for making all of this possible. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always catch it the next day on YouTube, Odyssey, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. So until next time, everybody, be free.